dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and we are on to prelim final weekend, which means we are now just two games away from finding out what the grand final matchup will be. And I tell you what, I've loved this final series and the amount of surprising results that they've been It has been an extraordinary two weeks so far to follow along with. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get some exciting games in the final uh, final couple of weeks and a real great conclusion to the AFLW season. Before we get into my prelim final previews, we've got to do a review of the semifinals. Two AFLW powerhouses headed into semifinal weekend, fighting to keep their respective seasons alive. And while one did so quite convincingly, the other one fell flat on its face and suffered the first ever straight sets finals exit in AFLW history. We'll get to that game second, but first the game on Saturday night, and it was the Adelaide Crows crushing the Sydney Swans 12-10-82 to 2 315. Like I did for the first week of the finals, we'll have a look at why uh the Crows in this game and Geelong in the other game why they won and why the Swans in this game and why Melbourne in the other game lost. But we'll discuss Adelaide first. And one of the big improvements for the Crows in terms of stats, and I talk about this stat a lot, but it is I think an undervalued stat, and that is disposal efficiency once inside 50. Against Brisbane, it wasn't actually terrible for the Crows, 37.1%, but against the Swans, they were deadly inside 50, sitting at 60.4% disposal efficiency, which is absolutely incredible. Not the only stat that they dominated, of course. They had 48 to 14 inside 50s. Their average per game inside 50 count is 37.5, and they had against the Swans 48 inside 50s, which goes to show you how, even by Adelaide standards, how dominant they were. They held the Swans to almost 16 inside 50s, less than Sydney's average uh, per game this season. In terms of disposals, Adelaide had 91 more touches than the Swans, Led the clearances 32 to 20, including 8 to 3 center clearances and 24 to 17 stoppage clearances. Uh, contested possessions were 131 to 83 in favor of the Crows. Adelaide had 11 less turnovers, won the marking, uh, won the won the mark tally 55 to 45, including 12 to 3 marks inside 50 and 13 to 1 contested mark. The tackle count inside 50 was 18 to 5 in favor of the Crows. In short, it was total and utter domination, especially on the scoreboard after quarter time. Adelaide, after quarter time, kicked 10 goals, 8.68 to Sydney's one goal, 3.9, which was a utter domination. It showed um, their dominance all over the ground, uh, which often doesn't, it often doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen. You'll, you, you know, sometimes you'll get a team dominating most stats except for the scoreboard, and it's actually quite a close game. This is not one of those occasions. Of the top 10 disposal winners on the ground, seven of them were Crows players, and it was the leaders at the Crows who led the way. Danielle Ponter, who has won two premierships with the Adelaide Crows, was one of them. Across the years, she has averaged 12.9 disposals a game. She had 24 of them against the Swans. Her season average for clearances is 3.3. On Saturday night, she had nine clearances. She had four tackles up from her season average of 3.8 a game. 
She also had four marks up from 2.2 a game average this season. So she had a a a the the best game that she's played all year quite comfortably. Another leader, Anne Hatchard, had 36 disposals up from a season average of 26.8. She had six tackles up from her average of 5.7 a game. She had 10 marks up from her average of 5.5 a game. And Ebony Marinoff, the tackling queen of the AFL, had 14 tackles up from her average of 10.3 a game. She is second in the comp this season, by the way, for average tackles per game just behind Kiara Bowers who's had 12.2 tackles a game um in terms of tackles overall this year Marinov leads the competition in tackles overall with 123 tackles this season and that number may be difficult to conceptualize but just to conceptualize it the second place player, Laura Gardner, who plays for the Swans, has had a nun- 109 tackles this year. Marinov is 14 tackles clear in total of the second place player. And they are the only two players who have cracked the ton in terms of tackles this year. And they played off against each other on Saturday night. And uh, Marinov definitely won the battle between the two leading tacklers. Gardner recorded nine tackles on the night. And I mentioned this before, but I mentioned again, Ebony is the undisputed tackling queen of the competition. Uh, I'm still, I still remember that incredible effort that she had 21 tackles in a game against the Giants in 2018, which 21 tackles in a game of football is a ridiculous number. And I'm looking forward to the day where she can repeat that effort. Now, uh, for every winner, there is a loser. We'll go to the Sydney Swans. Pure and simple, they ran headfirst into a brick wall, and that brick wall had a name, and that name is the Adelaide Crows half-forward line. In the second half, Adelaide had 12 scoring shots for seven goals, five against Sydney's three scoring shots for just three behinds. Most of that was because Sydney just couldn't get out of the forward 50. Uh, could, could, sorry, couldn't get out of their defensive 50. The Crows set up the wall across half-forward, and they just kept trapping it in there. Now, against Gold Coast, Sydney had only 29 inside 50s compared to Gold Coast 36, which is lower than Sydney's average of 30.9 inside 50s per game. Now, they were able to get away with that because the Suns on the pressure front weren't as good as the Crows were, but against Adelaide, they had just 14 inside 50s, and that is not going to cut it when you are playing against one of the best, if not the best team in the competition. Now, uh, Adelaide's leaders played really well. Sydney's leaders, not so much. Um, on the clearance front, especially, just to highlight a couple of examples, Laura Gardner has three clearance, had three clearances, while Chloe Malloy, uh, who was fresh off her explosive three-goal performance against Gold Coast the week before, recorded zero. Per game this year, Gardner averages 5.7 clearances a game, while Malloy averages 2.9 uh, clearances a game. So on the clearance front, the Swans obviously weren't as prolific as they normally are. Gardner also had 22 disposals down from an average of 29.1 a game in 2023. So, and those are just two players, but it was across the park. The Swans leaders just weren't as weren't as strong as they normally are. I do want to mention one player who had a season best outing in her second year, Ella Heads, um, one of just two Swans to record 20 plus disposals. She recorded six more disposals than her season average in terms of tackling, and she had seven tack uh, sorry in terms of disposals, and she had seven tackles compared to her average of 4.6 a game this year. She's had a great season. Um, I mentioned before a second one in the competition, going from 10.4 disposals per game 
Last year to 14 disposals on average, 4.2 marks per game, up from 1.6 last season, and recording 4.6 tackles a game, up from three last year. So she had a great night, and unfortunately, I think she was the only one who could really hold her head high. But despite the heavy semi-final loss. It has been an incredible season for the Swans and especially for coach Scott Gowans, uh, not just to go from zero wins in their first year to a semi-final appearance in their second win, uh, in their second season. It's also incredible when you consider the fact that he was diagnosed with cancer earlier in the year, but he would know that the Swans are currently not there yet in terms of competing with the best teams in the competition. And the results this year show against Geelong, they lost by 27 points against Brisbane. They lost by 55 and against Adelaide, they lost by 67. They are very good, the Swans. They are improving. They're not great yet. And to take that next step, senior players like Brooke Lachlan, who had a very quiet game, just the nine touches, two marks, a tackle and a clearance, need to stand up against the best in the competition. And the youngsters around them need to continue to emerge. You can't have games where it's just Chloe Malloy or it's just uh, it's just Rebecca Privatelli again next season. There needs to be a wider spread of contributors. But a great season from the Swans, nevertheless, regardless of how it finished. Now we'll go from the blowout Saturday night game to the thriller on Sunday, the uh, almost the great steal, Geelong holding on to win nervously. Seven goals, 8.50 to Melbourne, six goals, 9.45 for the first time ever in AFLW history. A team is out in straight sets and Melbourne across both their senior AFL and AFLW teams are now out in straight sets for the second time this calendar year. And for the third time in four final series across both the men's and the women's. They obviously had the men's in 2022 and 2023 and then the women's in 2023 as well. Pretty disastrous finals form from Melbourne. But we'll get to the Ds in a second. We'll touch upon Geelong first into the prelim final for the second time in their history. Uh, But for the first time in the current format, you had the bloody conference system, which was such such a waste. And I'll go on about this until the cows come home. It was a terrible, terrible system. Uh, back in the day, Ditch Long, they did play from memory Adelaide in their first season in a prelim final in the conference system and got blown out of the park. But they were nowhere near one of the best teams in competition in, in, in 2019 when that happened. They are one of the best teams in the competition this year. Geelong uh, conceded in the last quarter, with that being said, 32 points to seven and five goals to one in that last term. Could not overcome Melbourne, the three-quarter time lead of six goals, 7.43 to one goals, 7.13 in favour of the Cats. And uh, in a previous episode, I'm, I'm going to mention uh, at the moment, I'm going to mention a few players. In a previous episode, I mentioned Captain Meg McDonald as a crucial player. Um, however, it was one of the other McDonald's who, uh, who got the ball rolling with two goals in the first quarter in a term where the Cats had six scoring shots of two and established the uh, flow of things early on. Side note, did you know that Geelong has three players called McDonald as a last name? Thank you, the Geelong recruiting staff, for making my job and the job of commentators a lot more difficult. Uh, Captain Meg McDonald being one of them, previously mentioned. Abby McDonald in her second season, uh, played, you know, finally had her debut this year after not breaking through 
uh, last year. And then the McDonald, who I'm going to talk about briefly here, she started in the first quarter against Melbourne with two goals, and that is Amy McDonald now in her fifth season, averaging 23.3 disposals a game, along with 7.2 tackles and 5.8 clearances a game as well. She is one of the leaders at Geelong, and she stood up in the uh, in the first quarter when the game was there to be one hot and heavy early. I thought she had a great start to the game, really established, um, as I mentioned, established uh, how the game was going to go from there on for the first three quarters. Um, now, I am going to mention another player, and this player I have mentioned quite a lot, and that is Nina Morrison. Uh, another great game from her. She had 10 clearances up from a 2023 average of 4.5 per game, along with 29 disposals up from an average of 23.2 this season. Um, I thought she had a great game of football. I mentioned another forward uh, Jacqueline Parry in a previous episode as someone who uh, potentially had to had to rely on for, for for goals. She kicked, you know, she often kicks goals and gets on the scoreboard when the cats uh, when the cats win. And there she she did so again. She kicked a goal. Um, now I do want to mention one category that I think Geelong dominated in, and that was marks forty seven to thirty seven, including eleven to six contested marks. And uh, Parry, perhaps more so than any other Geelong player, really encapsulated that effort to outmark the Deeds, taking seven marks um, herself in that game, just one short of her career high, eight against the Dogs earlier in this year in round one, and uh, much higher than her average of 4.4 marks per game and easily the most taken in the game across both teams. She also had 13 disposals up from uh, an average of 11.4 per game, it's pretty good haul for a, for a forward to have 13 disposals in a game of football. You don't see that often either in women's or in men's footy. But for me, the player that perhaps um, uh, showed the diversity and threats that Geelong has was Georgie Presparkis. And she had a pretty quiet game a week after dominating Essendon. She had, well, comparatively speaking, at least on the disposal front, she had 18 disposals this week after having 23 disposals last week. But the thing that was most impressive of all this week was that she had an incredible 13 tackles, which is the highest tackle count she's had in a game. Last week, she had just two tackles a game. So if you compare the last two weeks, one week where she had more disposals, but barely any tackles, and the next week where she had less disposals, but a lot more tackles. She is a player that can hurt you in multiple different ways. If you restrict her tackle count, she'll hurt you on the disposal front. And if you restrict her disposal count, she'll hurt you on the tackle front. And I think it also goes to show that Geelong's midfield doesn't necessarily rely on her. The fact that they won the uh, center clearances against Melbourne as well and the stoppage clearances um, last couple of weeks, you can have a player like Georgia Presparkis having less disposals than normal. So long as she's putting pressure around the ball, it's gonna end up inside forward fifty for you. And I thought that she, um, I thought that she had a great game despite having less touches than normal. I think that you know she is a sign that Geelong doesn't have to necessarily rely on the same old players to play well anymore. Um, you know, you can still have players leading even though they're not getting their average or their career best numbers or season best numbers. But there's also young players coming through at Geelong now and they're getting the the perfect balance of, I think, youth and experience. Um, and players aren't relying on just one or two tricks to hang their hats on anymore. It's a really, really dynamic, dynamic, dynamic team and a pretty incredible performance from Geelong overall. We'll go to Melbourne 
And uh, once again, the low inside 50 count cost Melbourne in the end there, 27 inside 50s for the game of football. Their season average is 35.8 per game. Now, their last three games of the season, which they lost, I uh, know that they nearly came back and won against Geelong, but let's admit they lost that game pretty convincingly. They've lost their last three games very convincingly. Across those three games, they recorded 86 inside 50s for an average of 28.6 per game. In that same time, they've conceded 109 inside 50s, 109 to 86 in the same time period, or 36.3 per game versus 28.6 per game. It's little wonder that they have struggled to score. In that time, just kicking 11 goals versus 22 that they've conceded during that stretch and lost two of those games in the end pretty comfortably in almost nine full quarters of footy across those three weeks. The last two quarters of the uh, of the game against Brisbane, three quarters against Geelong, and almost four full quarters against North Melbourne. Um, might not be the best at math, but I think that comes out to nine. They kicked just two goals. If you look solely at the stats in this game, you would think this game was a close game throughout. I mean, Melbourne narrowly won the tackle count. Geelong won the inside 50 count and the tackle count. But overall, the stats are pretty even with each other. But the tail of the tape is that for the first three quarters, you can't kick a goal. And Melbourne couldn't kick a goal, couldn't buy a goal. You cannot not kick a goal for the best part of three quarters and then pull some Houdini magic out of nowhere and end up winning the game of football. Who does who does Melbourne think they are? Collingwood's AFL men's side? Sorry, I had to get that joke somewhere in there. I'm still very, very salty that Collingwood won the premiership this season and that Carlton ended up making a prelim final when midway through the year it was looking like Carlton was going to end up missing the finals and Essendon were going to end up winning a prelim. But that's besides the point. I've got to get over it sometime. Or I might never get over it. Truthfully, I'm still not over 1999 and I wasn't even born yet. But yeah, Melbourne, what a disastrous, disastrous end to the season. And that midfield mix to get so hammered in the inside 50 count and on the scoreboard in just nine uh, quarters of football is pretty incredible when you consider the fact that, you know, by halftime of round 10, even though they were trailing Brisbane, they were probably still premiership favourites. How the mighty have fallen indeed. And now we go on to the semi-final previews. And first game of the weekend is on Saturday night, Brisbane versus Geelong at Brighton Homes Arena in Ipswich. No previous clash this season or last season. In fact, this is the first time that they have played each other since Saturday, January 29th, 2022, which was round four of season six, held on the Sunshine Coast, which Brisbane won three goals, 9-27 to four goals, 1-25. Brisbane will go on to make a prelim final at the MCG, only to lose to Melbourne by four points. Now, I do want to mention just this quirky little stat. I'm sorry, Brisbane supporters, to mention this, but I feel like I've I've talked rubbish about Melbourne quite a lot this episode so I've got to mention a stat to kind of get the Melbourne supporters back on board on this podcast and I'll mention this that prelim final loss for Brisbane was the first of two instances that their year would end in a loss in a final against Melbourne and I did some research and both times both the prelim final in season six and the grand final in season seven Melbourne won by four points each time which is crazy to think about 
Meanwhile, in that year, that was so long ago, Geelong finished 12th. But due to the fact that this was before Essendon, Sydney, Port Adelaide and Hawthorne joined the competition, it meant that they finished third last. And what a difference it's two seasons and a year and a half can make for Geelong and for the competition. Now, for me, it is the battle of forward line, which is always interesting whenever these sides that can score very heavily play against each other. It's a forward line on one end. You've got the Dakota Davidson. And on the other hand, you have Chloe Shear, uh, both of which are leading their respective sides, leading goal kicker Tally with 19 goals apiece this year. It's all about the support that they can get. Can Jacqueline Perry and uh, Aisling uh, Maloney help uh, Chloe Shear for the Cats while can Sophie Conway and Courtney Hodder help Dakota Davidson in that forward line, Brisbane's forward line is just so dynamic. And Courtney Hodder, she may not have kicked, she, she, you know, she hasn't kicked as many goals as she had this year, but she's added more elements to her game and she could pull the remarkable out of the hat like a like a magic trick. So I have no doubt that a big occasion like this is is almost built for a, for a player like her. Now, while both teams score a lot offensively, defensively they are, extremely hard to score against only twice this year has has either Brisbane or Geelong conceded 40 plus points and only once has a team managed to crack 50 points against either of them so you look at a game like this and you look at Geelong and especially recently you know midway through the year they 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 got crushed by Melbourne but since that game they've kicked 300 total points uh, which is pretty incredible over its seven-week span for a total of 42.8 points per game and conceded just 191 for an average of 27.2 points per game in that stretch. Now, the thing that could potentially be very dangerous for Brisbane is the fact that Geelong can hold uh, their opponent to a very low inside 50 count. And we saw against Brisbane, uh, sorry, sorry, against Adelaide, Brisbane, you know, they can sometimes have you know a significantly less inside 50s than their opponent I mean Brisbane had just 26 inside 50s against the Crows Adelaide had like 10 more what this means though is that Brisbane are very dangerous inside 50 and they can make the most limited opportunities but this Geelong defense is just absolutely incredible now with that being said Geelong, they've got to watch out for their second halves against Melbourne in the last quarter. They kicked just one goal, nearly lost the unlosable game. And against Essendon, they just kicked the one goal for the entire second half. Now, they start games like a house on fire, but they faded out badly in second half's this final series. And it nearly cost them against Melbourne. And so it is a big concern because Brisbane play four quarters of football and you have to play four quarters of football against the Lions in order to win. Now, um, Brisbane has had the week off and typically that has meant that, you know, in years gone by, that means that the team with the final series, uh, with the buy-off heading into a prelim and a final series has gone on to then make the grand final. But this final series has completely thrown the rules for AFLW finals football that we've grown so accustomed to completely out the window. There is a sense of destiny about Geelong almost a little bit like the dogs in 2016 in the men's competition. And I've learned in my time watching football that you should never bet against a team with momentum behind them. And Geelong's momentum is incredible. I'm tipping the Cats to win by 10 points and make their first grand final ever 
Now we go to the Sunday clash. Who am I predicting to meet the Cats? Will it be a North Melbourne versus Geelong grand final at Icon Park or will it be the Crows again hosting a grand final this time against Geelong at Norwood Oval? Now, the previous clash between these two sides, North and Adelaide this year, round nine, Norwood Oval and Adelaide, the Crows won six goals, 541 to five goals, 838, despite having two less scoring shots and trailing by two goals at quarter time. And late goal from Nim Kelly broke North Hearts in one of the great games of the season. I previously mentioned with North on a few occasions how inside 50 disposal efficiency had been an issue for them this season. Perhaps that is nowhere more evident than the game against the Crows, which I will repeat, they lost by just two points. They had 16 more inside 50s than Adelaide. 16, that is a lot. And they kept the Crows to just 21 inside 50s a game. Adelaide averaged 37.5 inside 50s per game. And yet they recorded just 21 for that game. North defensively incredible. And yet inside forward 50, their disposal efficiency was 35.1% against the Crows, 52.4%. That was the difference in the game. Now, um, they just to again highlight what of a missed opportunity was for the Kangaroos. They led for 58 minutes and 49 seconds in that game. Uh, earlier in the year and trailed for just five minutes and one second for those keeping record and girls who care about the extra second. Now, both teams can score, uh, can can restrict their opponents to extremely low scores, which means that both teams can lock it inside 50 for long periods of time. And that was shown by Adelaide having 17 tackles inside 50 against North Melbourne's 15 when they compared, you know, when they played against each other. Numbers that the weaker teams in the competition can only dream of recording on a consistent basis. This game, for me, could come down to the midfields and particularly the battle of their leaders, Jasmine Garner, the best player in the competition this season, and Ebony Marinoff, a player who could probably argue that she should be given that title instead Looking at the stats, they are extremely even with each other. Ghana averages 29.6 disposals a game. Marinoff uh, averages 27.7 per game. Marinoff averages 3.8 marks per game versus Ghana's 3.7 per game. Ghana hits the scoreboard more regularly, 0.9 goals a game versus 0.3 goals a game. Marinoff uh, averages 10.3 tackles a game. Ghana averages 7.5 tackles a game. Ghana records more clearances on average, 6.7 a game versus five. This game is so even and it is between easily, and I mean easily, the most consistent players, no matter if their team wins, if their team loses, if their team squeaks by or if they win by 60, it is always these two players who are leading the way in almost every single category for their respective sides. This game is so even and it is so exciting to see which player ends up uh, the better player, the better performed player at the end of Sunday. Now, it could be decided by the matchup between these two, but I do think it will be decided in North Melbourne's forward line because it is so hot and cold. North know how to keep the Crows to a very low inside 50 count and could very well do so again. Against Melbourne in the qualifying final, North's inside 50 disposal efficiency was much better, sitting at an improved 54.5%. If they can have another game where they have disposal efficiency inside 50 of 
say 40, 45% plus, North, I think, will win this game. If they have another poor effort, say 30% or less, then I can't see a way for North to win this. It really will come up to that connection inside forward 50. Can they get marks inside 50 like they have struggled to at times this year? And if so, can they hit the scoreboard with majors? Because again, five goals, eight in a prelim final, probably not going to cut it in the end in terms of goal kicking accuracy. This will decide the game with North Melbourne forward line to show up. I think this is a real coin toss game. Both prelims are. But for the first time in AFLW history, there will be no team from outside Victoria featuring in the grand final. I am tipping the Kangaroos by five points, which if I am to be correct, means that the grand final will be between third and sixth in terms of where they finish at the end of the home and away season, which goes to show how incredible this final series has been. Dear listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. It has been a pleasure chatting football with you as always. Uh, Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe this weekend and i'm hoping to have a co-host on board next week a new one a new one a fresh one coming at you and uh, i'm not going to give away any hints uh just in case just in case it ends up falling through but do make sure you join us next week even if it is just me because we'll have all the grand final preview analysis and all the prelim analysis as well that you will need in the business until then stay happy stay healthy stay sexy sayonara